Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and today we're talking with Edie Weinstein, successful freelancer, interviewer, and author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. Edie also hosts It's All About Relationships here on Vivid Life Radio. Edie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Crystal. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> Edie, when did you become involved in a writing career? Well, hard to say. I've always been a writer. I've written one thing or another since I was a child. And when I became a professional writer was in 1988 when my husband and I created a magazine in the Philadelphia area called Visions. had to do with holistic health and wellness, spirituality and the like. And it was where I kind of cut my teeth on um, my interviewing, where I had the, the incredible honor and joy of interviewing people like Wayne Dyer, uh, Bernie Siegel, um, who else? Um, Dan Millman, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, Shirley MacLaine, Ben and Jerry, Ram Dass, you know, pretty much any, anybody that you consider uh, transformational icons. And we did it for 10 years, from 88 to 98, and then six months before my husband died, we sold it to another friend who published it for something like seven or eight years, and I jumped on board with that as a freelancer, and then since then have written for a number of different publications and websites. But, you know, writing is my passion. I can't not write. Mm-hmm. I think too when you when you have that gift of writing and you love to do it, it's something you kind of feel like you have to do it, or you feel anxious when you're not writing. Yes, <clears throat> and interestingly, um, there are times when I, you know, not that I, not just that it's anxiety that I'm not writing, but um, the muse with capital M wakes me up at all hours and says, "Write this down. <laughs> you need to, you know, you need to say this." So I'm in the middle of, you know, the middle of trying to sleep and it's like, ah, you know, it won't let me sleep. So, yes, I completely understand that. And you and you really honor that muse. You know, I think that's really cool that you get up and you just follow, follow what's coming to you and write it down. And I think, do you find that your best work comes from that? That it comes from when I'm, you know, when I'm in inspiration mode, when I get woken Mm -hmm. up. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it does. What I find is that my best work comes from life. Everything is a writing prompt. I can't go through an entire day without thinking about, okay, how can I write about this? What will, you know, conversations that I have with people. Uh, you know, you've probably seen the saying going around, you know, that, uh, that, it, that it's sort of like, a, like an occupational hazard. But if you're in a writer's life, chances are you're going to get written about, so behave, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know, if you wanted me to say nice things about you, then you, you, know, then you needed to behave. But, um, you know, I, I always ask my friends, is it okay to quote you? Is it okay to write about this experience? And if, and if um, it's a highly private, personal thing, I won't use any identifiers, uh, you know, and they're, if they're more comfortable with, with that. So, I, you know, everything is a writing prompt. I'm, I'm sitting here in my office den, whatever, looking at this beautiful parasol that I brought back from New Orleans last year when I went to Jazz Fest. So I could write about that experience. Um, beneath it is this tote bag that I got from a greeting card text company that I used to work for. And it says, make life a work of art. I could write about that. I could write about anything in this room. So for any writers out there that feel like they have writer's block, there's a whole slew of, of inspiration 
just open your eyes <laughs> and you'll see it. That's a really that's a really great idea because I think yeah. whether you have an office or a desk in a corner, you know, to make your writing space inspired and really picking up mm-hmm. those objects from your travels to kind of trigger something when you need to write. What publications mm-hmm. do you typically write for right now? Now I write for um, BeliefNet, Huffington Post, Psych Central, Elephant Journal, Good Men Project. I'm the editor of a quarterly publication called Expanded Family. Um, I write for um, a website that is not yet up. It will be up probably in June. That would be for seniors. Um, I've, you know, I take freelance jobs as they're offered, as they they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're in alignment with what I with what I do. So those are the sites that I write for, and some of them are paid, some of them are not paid. But one of the things that I found is that even if you have an unpaid writing gig that has um, cachet to it, like the Huffington Post, for example, it looks good on the resume. So mm-hmm. but be selective, be selective about it. In fact, what and I write for Vivid Life sometimes, of course. I forgot about that. <laughs> How could I forget that? <laughs> um, so. One of the the jobs that I had gotten as a full-time writing job came as a result of the woman that I was working for seeing my blog post. I think it was the Huffington Post or Good Men Project. And she said, we'd like to have you come work for us. And it was a year and a half of writing web content for websites that had to do with addiction and recovery and mental health issues. Unfortunately, as the industry goes, um, they had budget cuts and I got laid off. That was mm. a dream job. So I welcome something like that again, <laughs> you know, that, that pays me, you know, pays me well to do what I do well. So I've been doing freelance jobs ever since then. So, again, don't turn down something as long as it benefits you in some way, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just getting started and you need the exposure, that's great. But if you've been in the field for a long time, do the best you can to get compensated for the good work that you do. That's great advice. Everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Krista Lee Quibble, and today we're speaking with author, interviewer, and radio host Edie Weinstein about her career as a successful freelancer. When we come back, you'll learn how to learn a little bit more about how to submit to popular online publications, what Edie has learned about interviewing big names like His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and how she builds her relationships with popular publications. We'll be right back. Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibble, and we're continuing our conversation today with author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, Edie Weinstein. Edie, did you take any classes or formal training for writing? No, I actually didn't. My degrees are in psychology and social work. So I think I came into this life with an ability that got polished uh, just by doing um, I do mm-hmm. have to say that when I worked for this that company that I mentioned, the you know the um, the company that had drug and alcohol rehabs, um, I worked with an amazing editor who said, "I'm going to send you our style guide. It is your Bible. Study it." <laughs> and she was incredibly <laughs> patient with me because I was used to being a blog style writer as opposed to a more technical uh, medical mm-hmm. uh, researcher type writer, and she had worked. 
for um, newspapers, I believe. So she had a different journalistic style than I did. And she was patient with me. And I said, okay, this is sort of like, uh, you know, I, I was the only therapist on the team, the one that had clinical therapy experience. And I said, this would be like throwing you into the deep end of the pool, saying, okay, you've got to counsel these clients about drug and alcohol addiction. And, you know, and so I said, please be patient with me. There's a learning curve. And God bless her, she was. Maria was an angel that, that really helped to polish my writing skills. So if you can find a good editor, a patient editor, use a style guide for whatever, you know, website or, or content site you're writing for. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I haven't taken writing classes per se, no formal training, uh, but it's learning, learning by doing. And the thing that, that I marvel about with, with writing um, and, and typing specifically, when I was in junior high school, I didn't do well in my typing class, and now I can type with my eyes closed because my fingers know where everything is. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you learn you learn by doing with writing and typing. Yeah. When you, you know, in this career, I mean, freelancing, you know, can be a bit of a roller coaster at times. And I'm just curious, have you ever sort of dealt with imposter syndrome or feeling like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ta-da! Yes. Um, actually, this morning, uh, <laughs> before, I was looking at the promo for the show and I, and I actually talked to Shane, our producer, right before the show, and I said, uh-oh, I'm feeling like an imposter. I'm not feeling very successful at the moment because my, my MO is to um, plant seeds and say, okay, they're not growing fast enough. Come on, universe. What's going on? What's wrong with this picture? And he reminded me that I am already successful. And boy, do I forget exactly. that. In case people don't, thank you. In case people don't know what imposter syndrome is, is despite all evidence to the contrary, you feel like you're an imposter. Like people are going to find mm-hmm. out that I'm really not that good a writer, or I have no idea what I'm talking about, or I'm not that successful. So I, I imagine that you feel that way. I mean, I can't speak for you, but I imagine that you might feel oh that my way gosh, from time yeah. to time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think I think it's it's hard for writers at times, and I think many people to feel imposter syndrome quite often because you know you just want to help people and you want to get your work out there, and and it can be scary. It's really scary. Yeah. You're opening up the most vulnerable part of yourself, and you just mm-hmm. you just want to know that you're not alone. And I mean, mm-hmm. I've read your articles, and and they're beautifully written, and Thank and you. everything you kind of do is infused with so much love and kindness. So um, you're definitely not an imposter here. We're so grateful for your help and advice Aww. today. Oh my goodness! Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. What do you think is the best way that authors can ensure that their work is seen and published? Are there any sort of quick tips you can give to make their Mm -hmm. submissions stand out? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, write what you know. Um, Don't write in anybody else's voice or style unless you're, you know, ghostwriter. But write Mm -hmm. what from your life. Let it be authentic, because editors know, you know, if you're if you're faking it. Um, Write about. Your fears, be, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things that's happened for me in the last year, I think, is that my writing has gotten more naked and vulnerable. I'm showing aspects of myself that I would never have before because I have this persona, because I have this, you know, this mm-hmm. mask to wear. So be authentic. Um, look at what, you know, what, what turns you on with your writing. Is there something that really juices you up? Put that out there. Um, take a look at the websites you want to write for. For example, the Good Men Project, one of the places that I write, the theme is or the tagline is the conversation no one is having, and now they are, obviously, about what it means to be a good man. 
Uh, you know, Huffington Post is considered kind of top-notch freelance journalistic, you know, get your work out there kind of thing. So look at the articles that are already there and see what's mm-hmm. successful. Um, look at, you know, look at what jumps out at you and says, okay, that's something I can address. Also take a look at what your areas of expertise are. What do you have confidence and competence in that you're, you know, that you've, that you can write about? Uh, for some people, it's parenting. For some people, it's sexuality. For some, it's yoga. Um, you know, for you, it's writing. So if you were to write for any of those sites, you could write about what it's like to be a successful writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so write about, again, write about what you know. So I think that helps as well. And um, get it, you know, even, even if you send a pitch to a website, say, what are you looking for? Here's, here's what I can do. Tell me what you want, and I can give you what you want. That way you don't have to guess. Yeah, that's great. How how do you find, you know, do you personally build your relationship with each publication in a unique way, um, a way that they think of you when, when they're coming up to say, you know, they want an article written on something, they can contact you and say, Edie, right. you know, you've been a great, you've been a great person mm-hmm. for submitting articles. We want you to write this for us. How do you sort of position yourself there and make yourself the expert in that, in that forum? Right. Well, it depends on the website. Um, I write what I what I choose to for. They're, they're, they don't, you know, Huffington Post, Elmhurst Journal, Good Man Project. They don't usually give assignments. They have you submit articles about what lights you up or what you think the re- readership would know. But for our, like when I worked for that company and for other um, mental health and, and recovery based addiction based companies, that's when they would say, um, you know, your area of expertise is. Now, in my case, being a career therapist for something like 30 years, the that a number of the places that I've written have said, can you write an article about what it means to be a good therapist? Can you write an article about what it means to be a sucking therapist? Uh, you know, can you address <laughs> cocaine? And I had one website that said, write an article about cocaine addiction. And that mm-hmm. was huge. That took me three days, it's extensive research. So also know what your time is worth. Um, that's yes. huge because if you're spending a long time writing an article and getting paid 50 bucks for it, you know, you might be getting pennies per hour. <laughs> so know what your time is worth. Value your time. That's a huge thing for creative people too because so many of us are told, you know, you shouldn't be paid a lot of money for what you do. That's nonsense. You know, when people pay us for our work, they're paying for not just an article. They're paying for our time, our expertise, our, you know, our research, our planning, um, you know, the um, – experience that we've had so value yourself be a thriving artist not a starving artist that's great like be a thriving artist not a starving artist artist. Thriving artist. Uh so (laughs) so so important and is there you know is there a way that when you're quoting people you know when people come to you and say I need an article on this you know I think it's hard when you're first starting out to to state your price and to know your value and your worth as a writer, what do you recommend for setting, setting the price for, for your work? Well, it depends. Um, you, know, you don't know in advance how much time it's going to take to write an article, especially, again, if it takes extensive research. So I don't know that there is any hard and fast rule because I have to look at, you know, if somebody says, I would like you to write an article <clears throat> that is something you already know, like when I write the blog post, when, when I write um, for BeliefNet, just as an example, it may take me a half an hour to write an article. 
And when I write for the more clinical, technical websites, it could take me, a, you know, a full day. So I really mm-hmm. don't have any concrete advice for what to do. Um, you know, the, I think the, the thing that a lot of us fall into, myself included, is saying, okay, I'll take whatever I can get. You know, if you're going to pay me 50 bucks for an article, great, I'll take it. Uh, there's this, mm-hmm. this hamster wheel mode that some of us get in where we think, okay, I'll take whatever I can get. And maybe that, you know, if you need money quickly, it's a good thing, but um, it might undervalue if people think, okay, that's all I'm worth. So determine your worth too, not just, you know, how much time it will take. What is your worth, worth, work worth to you? What's the value that you're offering? Uh, the other thing that people don't think about when they're freelancers, and this is something that I, I think about all the time, is that my job isn't done once the article is published. It's my job to get the article out there to help spread the word, to use social media, to send it out wherever and however I can so that people can read this article. Because if you're writing something, you're doing it not just for the money, you're doing it because of the value that it can offer people in the world. And mm-hmm. you want as many people as possible to see it. You know, because you're, you know, you, you're sharing your gifts with the world. So know, you know, that, that that's important as well. The other thing I would suggest is that people get involved with uh, either online or out in the world um, support groups for writers. There are a lot of writers support, you know, there's one that I'm part of called the Writer's Coffee House uh, online. Mm-hmm. People want to look that up. And that got started by um, a dear friend of mine named Jonathan Mayberry, who is one of the most generous writers, editors that I ever thought, imagined. He's from this area, from the Philadelphia area originally, but he and his wife are out in San Diego now. And Jonathan's genre is very different from mine. He's a horror and suspense writer. And I call his work Stephen King's Scary Good. He would be really cool to have on your show. Um, but he, and he's this big bear of a guy. So I call him a cuddly zombie. He writes a lot of zombie books. Um, Joe Ledger, um, I think, is his, his, main, you know, his main dude that he writes about. And he's this, this big guy that, who's a martial artist, actually, and just a phenomenal person, but very gentle, very, very you know, a wonderful hugger. But he created the, the Writer's Coffee House, and he has it now online if people want to look, up, you know, look it up. Uh, but there are a lot of online writing support groups that I encourage you to be part of. And that's a good way to hone your craft too, to send, you know, to send your samples out to people, run it by somebody who, you know, who's an expert in that particular field. Um, so, you know, there are all different genres yeah. of writing out there and, and, you know, use your supports, use the people that know what they're doing to help you get better at what you're doing. Absolutely. You've interviewed His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that interview and and sure. how you actually got that? Yeah, that is what I call my dream into reality interview. Um, I've wanted <laughs> to interview him for 20 years. I can't imagine who wouldn't. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> the first thing that I did is I put it out there into the, the universe and said, all right, I want to interview the Dalai Lama. And um, all of my friends, family said, sure, one day that's going to happen. Nobody in my life has ever said, you can't, it won't happen, you know, pie in the sky, all that nonsense. But they have been tremendous supports. Then I created a vision board. Um, for those who don't know what that is, it's a collage. You, know, you cut out pictures, words, whatever, put it on a poster board. Mm-hmm. And then I, I cut out a picture of the Dalai Lama. And somebody said, well, why don't you put your picture next to his picture? And I did that. And then... Um, I, somebody else said, why don't you write questions as if you're going to be interviewing him tomorrow? And I did that. 
Now, my ace in the hole is another friend. You know, it's, it's always good to have friends. Uh, it's my friend Greg Schultz. He is an American-born Buddhist who um, is very much involved with the Tibetan rights movement. And he had been working behind the scenes for me for years trying to get the interview. Fast forward to 2005, and His Holiness was speaking at Rutgers Stadium in, in New Jersey. So um, I, they asked me if I would help promote it because I'm sort of a PR goddess you know, networking queen. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And by the way, is he granting interviews? No, he's not. Okay, I'll do it anyway. So I went to Rutgers Stadium with my tape recorder and I interviewed people in the stadium and asked them why they were there and what his holiness meant to them. And I got a beautiful interview. I don't even remember where it was published, but I, I <laughs> went somewhere. And at the end of the day, I brought home a postcard that they were handing out with the picture of his holiness on there. So I taped it to the dashboard of my car. So he was with me all the time both on the vision board and in my car. So I was immersed in that feeling. I was, as, as a coworker of mine said, I was laminated. So it just felt like I was in that energy. <laughs> so fast forward again, another few years, and I hear he's coming to Philadelphia. And my friend Greg is the, became the events coordinator when he was in Philly. And he said, I can't guarantee it, but I think it's possible that we can get you an interview. It's sort of like that kid's game. You're getting warmer, getting warmer, you know. <laughs> so um, a few weeks prior, he was coming July of 2008. A few weeks prior, I was at a music festival in my area, standing there with two friends, one of whom was a photographer. And the phone rings, and it's my friend. And he says, are you sitting down? And I said, should I be? He said, yes, take off July 16th and 17th. You got the interview. And by the way, you're the only journalist in Philadelphia that was granted the interview. I screamed into wow. the phone. My photographer ah! friend snapped the picture, which I still have somewhere. And then, you know, was really excited. And then the next day he calls me and he says, you still have the interview. However, um, I, you know, how, however, I, want to let you know that there's another journalist that they want on board from the Philadelphia Inquirer. So mm-hmm. um, you didn't think I was, I was going to say, nah, I don't want it if I can't have it to myself. So David <laughs> O'Reilly, who is the, the religion editor or, or reporter from the Inquirer, who I loved, I loved his work for years, was the other person. So the day before the interview, we were at this, this Buddhist temple, and we were looking around like these two conspiratorial little kids because we said, these other journalists that are here don't know that tomorrow at this time we're going to be with His Holiness. So, um, and he says, I got a new suit for the occasion. I said, I got a new dress for the occasion. So we, you know, the next day we went to the interview and it was just phenomenal. Um, I cried, of course. Um, there was a, a ritual that you do when you meet the Dalai Lama, which is to hold this white silk scarf called a kata um, in prayer pose, in namaste pose. He takes it off. He blesses it, puts it on you. When he did that, he hugged me. And I just like yeah. fell through the floor. And it was an incredible yeah. interview. We had 45 minutes with him. Um, it's become part of it's a chapter in my book. It was published in our regional newspaper, and it, you know it still feels surrealistic. And I and I think Absolutely. this is we're coming up on eight years this July. So don't ever ever yeah. ever give up on your your dreams, folks. Just do this well, for yourself. That's excellent advice, Edie. I just want to thank you so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And everyone, Edie can be found online at opti-mystical.com. If you'd like to win a free copy of the Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, you can visit my website at crystalleequible.com and sign up for my newsletter. Winners will be notified weekly on our Facebook page. And be sure to tune in next week as I speak with Sari Wilson of The Girl Through Glass. Thank you for listening and keep writing. 
Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.